And we are back with part two of our Earth's Mightiest Hero Deep Dive. Shout out to Peter J, Mikey W, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Sam, Bindi, and Sue P. We have decked our toe in with the very first part being the birth of Iron Man. We've laid the table with all the uh, all the other trinkets that we've laid before you. The uh, second part of this is going to be the uh, For the Mighty episode. Uh, we'll take it away. In New York City, a gang of super-powered villains steal a Stark Industries gamma energy emitter from the docks. The police attempt to apprehend the villains, but are swiftly taken down. An ambulance responding to the emergency call drives into the battle between the villains and police to help the officers, but they are surrounded by the supervillains. Just as one of them starts to power up the gamma energy emitter, Molnir flies in and takes him out. Thor has arrived. As the Thunder God fights, one of the villains drops a shipping container on Thor, but the villains gloat. Th- but as the villains gloat, sorry, Thor emerges and finishes them off. After a brief hostage situation with the paramedic, who introduces herself to Thor as Jane Foster. The next minute, Thor is summoned back home by Odin. Asgard is under siege. So when the uh, ambulance and police are coming in, they, they have a code blue. Which is a there's a special code for the emergency service to let them know there's super villains. I like that's, that. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. World building. So, are these villain characters anyone we should we should know because they look like they have some kind of character, but I, I couldn't really make out what they were supposed to be. You've already seen them, and we've already briefly talked about them on the She-Hulk episode. Is it the she's wrecking attacked, crew? It's the wrecking crew. It's yeah, the she's wrecking by, crew. Yeah, this is what they should be like. <laughs> um, so yeah. the, the wrecking crew are like construction-themed supervillains. We've got the wrecker who wields a crowbar, mm. the bulldozer with the big metal helmet that kind of is a little bit like Juggernaut. He drives at people with his big metal helmet. Pal driver <laughs> in the white and red costume, and mm. Thunderball, green and yellow costume with a, a swing and a big wrecking brawl. So we 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 need to know about Dirk Garthwaite, um, aka the Wrecker. He's yeah. a Thor villain, um, depicted as a like a construction worker, worked in demolition crew, fired for his violent and antisocial tendencies. Winds up in oh he becomes a he, yeah he puts on a, a costume with a hat and a uses a crowbar and he commits a series of robberies, demolishing the locations that he's looted. And leaving a crowbar at the scene of the crime is his calling <laughs> card. Um, he then, um, as one of his robberies, he accidentally stumbles across Loki. Um, but Loki has been depowered. Um, mm. So the wrecker whacks him on the head with his crowbar, knocks him out, and then picks up Loki's fancy helmet and puts it on and is parading around like, oh, I'm wearing a fancy helmet. And then... Carnilla, the Norn Queen, one of the the most powerful sorcerers in all of the Nine Realms, and Loki's evil ally, comes into the room and sees this guy from behind wearing Loki's elaborate helmet and goes, this guy must be Loki. I shall immediately give him lots of superpowers, which I (laughs) promised I would give to Loki. So this guy, Dirk, the Wrecker, uh, gains Asgardian superpowers, you know, strength, stamina, durability. His crowbar becomes almost like, you know, kind of his version of Mjolnir, although it doesn't, like, fly and stuff. But it's mm. it's a super-powered crowbar. 
Wow. And he uses it, you know, he can demolish whole buildings with a, with that crowbar. Um, and he uh, gets into a big battle with uh, with Thor almost immediately and um, holds his own and nearly nearly beats Thor. Um, and he comes, he has lots of battles, comes into that prison and stuff. And then one time during a jailbreak with his with his fellow prisoners, um, there's mm. a lightning storm, and uh, the wrecker tells them all to grab his his um, his crowbar at the same time. A lightning bolt then strikes the crowbar as he and it increases the wrecker's power, wrecker's power, and transfers it to the other jailbreak members and turns them all they all get a bit of his power and they become the wrecking crew one guy becomes thunderball and bulldoze and all that kind of stuff and they 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 escape prison and go on a rampage the first job they get to pull together is stealing a gamma bomb so there's tied in there a little bit they um you know they're in and out of prison they they rock up and they they they're bullies a big thing about them is they're bullies Mm. they're big bully guys yeah awful people they get they get chosen by the Beyonder to participate in the secret war, um, secret wars, and that's because they were a major part of that quite popular crossover. Their most famous and notorious kind of act was they were a part of um, the second Baron Zemo's Masters of Evil, um, and they destroyed Avengers Mansion, and they um, beat Hercules nearly to death. The the the, the four of them um, during the siege of Avengers Mansion. Yeah, so that was a a big deal. Yeah, I think they also they also tortured um, Jarvis the Butler as well. Was oh, known that's for that. horrible. Yeah, bullies. At Asgard, frost giants start launching rocks at the city walls before tearing down the drawbridge. As the cold monsters enter the city, their leader, Loki, emerges and claims his right to be leader of Asgard. However, Odin is in the Odin sleep and able to battle, leaving Thor and the other warriors of Asgard to fight without their ruler. Lady Sif and the Warriors Three are able to take down one of the giants, but are felled by the remaining frost giants. Thor flies in at the last minute and battles them. Meanwhile, with the presence of his son nearby, Odin awakens. Just as Thor is about to defeat the frost giants with lightning, he is frozen in ice and slammed against the city walls before being stomped on by the giants. As one of the giants lifts up Thor to eat him, Thor calls back Mjolnir and summons an almighty lightning storm to destroy all the giants. Suddenly, Loki enters the battle and uses dark magic to fell his brother, telling him that he and Odin deserve what's coming. The two fight hand-to-hand before Thor slams Loki into a tower. The god of mischief fights back with more dark magic, with Thor responding with an awesome beam of lightning, but Loki transforms into a flock of ravens to dodge this electric attack. However, Thor is able to subdue Loki and brings him as a prisoner before Odin. So this is quite powerful for Loki, you know, more powerful than we usually see him in the MCU. Uh, Loki's more about deception. I mean, how good is he in a fight? Yeah, we don't really tend to see him much of him him in a fight. He certainly doesn't use magic like this as kind of like energy blasts and stuff. Um, He is, um, and I think we'll discover towards the end of the episode kind of what's going on here. Um, But no, he he doesn't. He's, He's, you know, genius kind of manipulator and... Um, he he's uh, has vast kind of mystical abilities, you know, hypnosis and illusions and teleportation, mm. and he can uh, he can do all sorts. He's shapeshifter, you know. We know all that about him. Um, but but no, he, he's not one to kind of go 
kind of like head to head in combat and blast people with blasts of energy and stuff. Yeah, no. yeah. This didn't seem like like a typical Loki to me. In Odin's throne room, Loki declares that Odin is not his father. That Asgard will fall one day, and Loki will laugh over its ruins. As punishment for his attack, Odin banishes Loki to the Isle of Silence, a grey colourless realm of silence where no one will be able to hear Loki's lies. With the Odin sleep approaching, Odin commands Thor to watch over Asgard in his slumber, but Thor defies his father, saying that it is Midgard that needs his strength and protection. Thor tries to warn Odin that Earth is spawning more powerful threats every day and has no protectors against such power. Thor accuses Odin of manipulating both him and Loki, saying that Odin could have stopped Loki's attacks before it ever began, but used it to lure Thor back to Asgard. Thor storms out of the throne room, saying that he chooses to protect Midgard. As Thor leaves Asgard, he is observed by a blonde sorceress who conjures magic to teleport herself away. So I like what they've done here. They've kept the struggles between Thor and Odin, as well as Loki's defiance, like this whole uh, dr- family—not family drama, but this kind of like a uh, court. Not, yeah, it's like a, it's, like, it's like political, and it's it's family stuff, and yeah, it's but really it, good. But again, don't forget this. This is before any Thor movies are coming out. Hmm. Yeah, it's just for a kids show. It's like, oh, would they be interested in this? And like, you know, it's like, no, this is this is actually got it yeah. just right for me. Like, I can imagine kids watching this going, yeah, I, I get what's going on here. He's upset with it. Absolutely, yeah, that's fair. yeah. That's fair. Nothing too complex here, but just enough to make it not so straightforward. So, uh, this is a obviously we've talked about Odin before. This seems like a different kind of Odin to what we see with uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> Odin is quite the manipulator in the comic books, isn't he? Oh, massively! I think as yeah. we talked before, um, he he uh, to, even to be to, to begin with, he's forever banishing Thor from Asgard to manipulate him, or banishing him from Midgard to manipulate him. He stops. He does everything he can to stop Thor from falling in love with Jane Foster, and yeah. tries to manipulate him into like falling in love with an Asgardian woman, or you know all sorts of and that's kind of like petty soap opera manipulation but as time goes on he becomes a bit more sophisticated and, and we see that odin is this kind of almost desperate king who mm. lives under the cloud of a, of a prophecy called ragnarok which is about the death of the gods and the death of his sons and the end of asgard and death of himself as well and we do see that he'll do anything to avoid this this kind of end of days um, and he he is he does become very good at you know he he will move mortals and gods around this kind of cosmic chessboard mm. to to get his own way and to he, he's not noble <laughs> not always noble sometimes he's noble but it's all about retaining power and avoiding death yeah um, very yeah. Game of Thrones like I'm there the only person go. I'm the only person who's going to be able to save everything mm. so I have to get rid of you, kill you, disparage you to make sure I stay in charge because I'm the only one that can save you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, 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 there's um, one time when the Avengers desperately need some Asgardian help. Odin refuses to even speak to Tony Stark to give him audience and counsel until he makes a grand sacrifice, you know, mm-hmm. um, which essentially forces Tony to sacrifice his sobriety it's the (laughs) most treasured thing he's got so he drinks and gets drunk in order to gain a council with odin 
which plays into Odin's hands. We also eventually learn that um, Midgard had a predecessor, Aesheim, Aesheim, which was populated by humans, mortals, just as Midgard is now. Um, I wonder what happened to this. Odin's brother, Cull, the god of fear, became (laughs) more, more powerful and stronger the more people that feared him. And since he'd made the people of Aesheim terrified of him his power threatened odin's um and so he's like well there's only one way to stop my brother it's to destroy the world and all the mortals on it um and once he'd done that he was able to you know imprison his brother and 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 beat him and stuff so wow. yeah odin's uh, not a good guy no 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 definitely not a yeah. good guy <laughs> no in his imprisoned realm, Loki flashes back to when he lied to the Frost Giants and goaded them into attacking Asgard. We also see Loki on Earth disguising himself as the Hulk enemy, the leader, in order to hire the Wrecking Crew to steal the Stark Industries' gamma energy emitter, creating the dangerous situation at the docks. At the same time, Thor heeds a call of distress from a blonde woman, telling him about the Wrecking Crew attack at the docks, just as Thor flies off to deal with the situation, the woman transforms herself uh, back into the Asgardian sorceress from earlier. This is the Enchantress, and she reports back to Loki. See, I thought this was uh, Thor's sister. I wasn't too sure. Doesn't have a sister. Oh, um, you know, it's he- a character created in... Oh. We're going to handle that film soon, aren't we? What? Oh, I thought... Oh, yeah, no, no. Comic Book Thoughts have a sister. We'll get to that, yeah. Yeah, no. that's fine. We'll talk about that. I mean, he that. does, but we have to start talking about Todd McFarlane and Spawn if we're going to talk about Thor's sister. Yeah, that's fair um, play. Uh, so what can you tell us about the Enchantress? Uh, is she, is she, uh, I, I thought there was a DC character called the Enchantress. There is, yeah. There is, yeah. So she's but a, it's it's a, it's a kind of a it's just it's like having a character called the Wizard or anyone can use that <laughs> name, can't they? You know, the Wizard. Um, yeah, she she first turns up in very 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 the first year, like within the first couple of issues yeah. of Thor and Journey to Mystery. She's there in the early sort of sixty four. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mora the Enchantress. Um, she learned magic from uh, someone we've already talked about, uh, Carnilla, the Queen of the Norns. Um, but it was eventually sort of. Ban- well, we learn this. This is more sophisticated. We learn this later on. Is that, that she kind of banished um, for being a bit too pretty and a bit too good at magic. And then she kind of has to go around the nine realms learning um, dark magic herself. And um, Banished for her- being too pretty? Yeah, by, by, by Carnilla, the Queen of the Norns. Yeah. Oh, right, I thought for a um, second. You're distracting all the male wizards. Not quite, no. It's a threat <laughs> to Carnilla's kind of um, yeah. position. Um, and she, you know, her beauty is renowned throughout the Nine Realms, but also so is her... Um, her duplicitous nature and her first appearance she is sent by odin to eliminate thor's human love interest jane foster um so it's like go down there and use your feminine wiles on him and her what's in it for her is she wants thor for herself she Mm. thinks that's a very powerful dude that i want to be with and together we could rule asgard and this that and the other and she's assisted by her minion scourge the executioner um who uh, crops up later on in, in the movie ragnarok Mm. Is it Ragnarok? Yeah. Um, the Executioner, like, 
ha- has the hots for the enchantress, and so he's and she plays him like a fiddle, um, strings strings him along, and it's kind of like, well, maybe I can be with you and Thor. I'll see. Um, and uh, so yeah, she she goes off to attempt to seduce um, Thor when he's uh, in his human mortal form, Donald Blake, and sends the execution to kill Jane Foster and stuff. The two of them go on to become members of uh, Baron Zemo's first Masters of Evil. Okay. Which is a combination of essentially all of the Avengers' individual villains come back, and Zemo organizes them into this anti-Avengers team. Mm. Um, and uh, she hypnotizes Thor into attacking the other Avengers and stuff. And she she goes she she's just a perennial Thor and Avengers villain for decades and decades. Mm. Um, powerful, selfish, I guess, evil sorceress. Are going to go sexy as well, or something? Well, she's meant to be, yeah. That's the how she's positioned. Um, in the mid-90s, there's this weird bit where Thor is spurned by Odin, exiled to Earth again, completely dispowered. So he's just a, a very strong, but, but, but like a normal, vulnerable person. Mm. And in this disheveled thing, he just starts living in New York City with Amora the Enchantress as lovers, living in a <laughs> loft just shagging and fighting people and it's uh very very strange but yeah she's a, a, a certainly a classic villain not exactly a game over screen is it that sounds brilliant uh in another flashback we see balder the brave reporting to odin he says that thor's arrogance is growing that he treats humans like children and the real reason for thor wanting to stay in the earth realm is due to the thunder god's feeling towards jane foster as balder leaves the throne room he transforms back into Loki. As the flashback ends, we see all the events of this episode have been completely manipulated from by Loki from beginning to end. His own plan trapped himself in the Isle of Silence. But in the present moment, the Enchantress and the Executioner teleport into the Isle of Silence and cast a spell, allowing them all to speak. Loki says that he's now now he's ridden from sight. Sorry, hidden from sight. No one is ready. For what comes next. Oh. I like I like how these episodes aren't enclosed stories. They're just setting mm. things up. They're putting pe- pe- pieces together. It's a continuing thing. I am really enjoying this. Uh, I prob- I'm probably going to do what I did with X-Men and Spider-Man. I'm going to go through the whole thing at some point. As it, I, I just, I just had a lot of fun with this. Like I said, this is one of my all-time favorite Marvel projects, um, and I, I agree. I think this is the wonderful way for us as people that like this stuff to watch it. I do, however, I do see how this might not be the best way to introduce an Avengers cartoon to the general public this might be a little too complex in its storytelling i can understand someone at a network saying no we need to start with the avengers all together yeah. being friends and fighting someone um so i can see that as well yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how for you how does this portrayal and presentation of asgard and thor compare to the the like perhaps the first thor movie in the early presentation of well, we spoke about this before and you had such a great point that the first Thor film should have been about uh, entirely in Asgard, uh, Thor's life there and the troubles and tribulations and they do a lot of that in this episode. It feels like they're doing the right amount. They're not doing the whole Thor has been cast to Midgard as a mortal 
and, and, and it's a fish out of water affair. They're actually doing a lot of stuff with the Asgard uh, side. Mm. You know, if, if, obviously it's a cartoon. They're not they're not doing that sort of thing because we don't have the budget to do Asgard, so we're going to do a, a small town in New Mexico, that kind of thing. So it works so well here. I think I think I don't know. Yeah, I think I might have been a little hasty or wrong on that last time I talked about that because I I certainly think the best one of the best things about Thor is when he's torn between the two worlds. But mm. I do think in that first movie, maybe you just want to sh- yeah, you, maybe you just want to do a big big Lord of the Rings fantasy thing and and kind of then go from there. Like I I, I, I felt like the first time he's on Earth should probably be the Avengers movie, but that would make so much sense. Because you could end the film with like, uh, or at the end he gets cast down, and then it's like a post-credit scene leading to the Avengers. Then the Avengers, it kind of, oh, you are a genius. We've seen the emergence of Iron Man and Thor. Where we go next on this Mightiest Heroes journey, Will? Next up, Hulk versus the world in Nevada. Bruce Banner keeps a low profile as he walks towards Las Vegas. However, in the city, he's recognized by a passing cop and is forced to run away before losing the policeman and stopping in an alley out of sight where he has to calm himself down to prevent a transformation. Just then, a convoy of high-tech tanks pass down the street, commanded by General Ross, who is hunting the Hulk. On his laptop, Banner finds the location of several supervillains. The leader, the Abomination... And particularly Carl Creel, aka the Absorbing Man. They all they look to be in the middle of a desert. So I like that we're getting back to troubled, practically homeless Bruce Banner. Yes, because that's Bruce Banner at his core, isn't it? Yeah, and you can see like they didn't have to. I think with Iron Man, because Iron Man is so much in the world. There's actually, if you're going to carry on those those Iron Man movies to this cartoon, there's a little bit of stuff you have to perhaps do. Yeah. The, the Hulk's kind of easy. He had his adventure, and then he just ran off to the jungle. <laughs> yeah, right. You just you can just from there you can just kind of like hey, come back. He doesn't have supporting cast. He doesn't have this, that, and the other. He's a guy on the run. Yeah, it's literally. Yeah, did. that's pretty much it. I love it. At a diner on the outskirts of the city, Banner sits next to Creel and tells him that Shield is looking for the villain and that Banner can help him. Bruce located Creel because he's emitting gamma radiation, which Bruce was able to track. Bruce reveals that Creel has been locked up in something called The Cube, a supervillain prison that houses projects, sorry, that houses subjects who have been exposed to radiation. Radiation, which has turned men into monsters. Bruce wants to know everything Creel can tell him about The Cube. Bruce is afraid that S.H.I.E.L.D., are trying to turn these people into weapons. I like that um, each of these different prisons is for a different type of villain or prisoner. Yeah, because you, you've got the we, vault. Which was kind thing. of tech-based. That's tech-based. This is more superhuman-based. This is, well, is radiation-based. Radiation-based. Sorry, yeah, yeah. radiation-based. So just be a big lead prison. <laughs> Sorry, that's just a, Yeah, we just... It's a regular prison. We just got loads of lead paint. Uh, was the first one tech based? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was Man, cybernetic, it? Yeah. was cybernetic yeah. and whatnot. Um, yeah. So, obviously, the uh, gamma ray emitting villains doesn't sound like a bad idea to have a prison for them. Uh, I, I I imagine after our talk about the prison industrial complex in the previous uh, 
in the Iron Man episode that this exists, right? This has to exist. I don't think so. No, oh, okay. they, 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 I, they, they'd probably wind up in the vault. The vault, um, okay, yeah, or probably the raft. Like there, there's, so there's a, there's a kind, of, but it, it, it has. So it's sort of, but not really again. So there is a similar <laughs> gamma affiliated place in the Nevada desert, right? Yeah. Um, it's called uh, one of three things: Gamma Base, Hulkbuster mm-hmm. Base, or Project Greenskin. Um, oh wow. So it's the base operations for Thunderbolt Ross and his Hulkbuster military unit. And so it's designed to be their base, but also be a place that their intent is to capture and imprison the Hulk. So the Gamma base can can, can do that. And it also it housed um, the Abomination for, for, for a little period of time. But it, but it was never designed to be a place to hold all of the radiation villains. That's not what it was there for. It's just kind yeah, of Hulk-based. I can understand that. The next second... Creel absorbs the metal from the fork he's holding, transforms into steel, and throws Bruce out of the diner. Creel reveals that he knows that Banner is the Hulk, and he's been looking forward to this fight for a long time. In a rage, Banner transforms into the Hulk. Absorbing Man rings a bell. Um, what can you tell us about the Absorbing Man? First of all, if you're going to absorb a, a spoon, you should turn into a spoon. That's what I believe. <laughs> you should become a giant or a giant fork, but just a, with a face on it and everything. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's an, another early classic character, 1965 Thor villain, primarily a Thor villain before oh. he goes on to become a Hulk villain sort of later on. Carl Crusher Creel, um, mm. a former boxer um, and 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 just kind of career criminal, who. Um, is trans- given superpowers by Loki. We're seeing a theme here, aren't we? Yeah. He's, he's, um, he's Loki wants web. to create... A, well, we saw uh, the Wrecker created by uh, Asgard in this one as well. Mm-hmm. Loki wants to create a villain, someone strong enough that can beat Thor. So he astral projects himself to this prison and finds the toughest, meanest guy in the prison, which is Creel. And then he basically tips a potion into his like prison slop food mm. and uh, spikes <laughs> spikes his meal with um asgardian you know superpowers uh, so he gets the ability to be able to absorb the properties of anything he touches and mm. and transform that way so yeah he escapes prison by becoming metal and all that kind of stuff he takes um a ball and chain with him as well that was the it was the old style prison the old, thing yeah. the old ball and chain around his ankle and he takes it with him and he swings it around and uses it as his weapon and um he can he i think he can turn that into anything he touches as well um, like if he absorbs um, rock, he could turn his ball and chain into rock. I yeah. don't know why he'd want to. Metal is stronger than rock. Yeah. But as yeah. we're about to see, Creel doesn't know that. Um, so yeah, he, he's um, he's although he's only mortal, his his, his fantastic as guardian abilities and mystic abilities make him a big worthy opponent for Thor. Hmm. Um, he can mimic the, the 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 matter and the strength of anything he touches. Um. Most commonly, it's like the properties of like, you know, metals, rock, but he could also do liquids and gases mm. and even energy sources as well. Um, there seems to be almost no limit to what he can absorb. He's mimicked um, the Uru metal of Thor's hammer. Oh, wow. Odin's cosmic energy absorbed the, you know, Odin tries to kill him 
and mm. Creel absorbs that blast and becomes full of that power. He even at one stage absorbed the the realm of Asgard itself by kind of touching the ground and oh. became incredibly powerful. He's had many clashes with um, Thor and and then the Hulk and the Avengers over the years. He was another part, another villain part of that big Secret Wars crossover event. We talk about that a lot, guys. If you want to know everything about Secret Wars. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. One of our awesome episodes, bonus episodes, is all about the Secret Wars, Spider Man's black costume and making its first appearance, and uh, all these stuff we've talked about. Um, and that's where he develops a relationship with Titania, who we saw in She Hulk. Um, and they become a long term couple. And we talked on that She Hulk episode about mm. how they. they the these are like they are there's human aspects to these two mm. they're not just so creel has his own code of ethics yeah so at one stage he teams up with crossbones in a plan to attack captain america um but it's like he doesn't really know how bad of a guy crossbones is and when he works out and finds out that crossbones is about to detonate a bomb in public in new york city and kill innocent people like Creel kicks Crossbones' ass. He absorbs <laughs> Captain America's shield to become Captain America's shield, and then like contains the blast of the bomb. Wow! Um, and he declares at that stage, like I'm, I might be a lot of things, and I'm a bad guy, but I'm not a killer. I'm not a murderer. Yeah. So yeah, will we see him in the MCU? Do you reckon? I think we. Um, I don't know if it counts, but I think we already did in Agents of Shield. Um, Ah yeah, okay. I've got to see I that think, at some point. Yeah. Um, whether we see a different version or something, I'd imagine so. It's a, it's a cool power for for a movie. It really is. Oh yeah, no, no, no. That's something I'd definitely like to see. Anyway, launching both he and Hulk into the desert, Creel continues fighting the big green monster, alerting the attention of Thunderbolt Ross to their location. Hulk pounds Creel into the desert mountains. Creel absorbs the nearby rock formation, transforming himself to rock, only for Hulk to beat Creel into pieces. What However, was that about? <laughs> I know, like, why would you do that? Oh, God, it's stupid. However, a missile flies at them, blowing apart Creel. Ross's convoy of tanks and attack helicopters opened fire on the Hulk. The Hulk fights back, tearing a missile launcher off one of the helicopters, firing it back at the tanks. The next minute, Ross receives a transmission from his superior, telling the general to stand down. As Hulk finishes off the rest of Ross's vehicles, Hawkeye and Black Widow fly in on a shield jet and take on the Hulk. Absolute uh, mystery why you'd pit the Black Widow against the Hulk here, but... Really? Because what happens? Does she beat him? I think she beats him, so... Yeah, but she's, uh, we discussed this. She's She's more of a spy than a... Like a field she gets day. the job done. She, okay, she her gets, widow's uh, sting knocks the Hulk out. That's why you'd use her. Okay, that's fair play. You'd think you'd just, <laughs> you know, uh, capitalize on that and just make rifles with the widow's sting inside. <laughs> but she's the best. She's the best trained fighter and sort of person you've got. Yeah, there's true. no better fighter you've got in, in Shield than the Black Widow. That's and true, she's got okay. a weapon you think can knock the Hulk out. That's yeah. who I'm sending. Okay, that's fair. But it's also showing us that S.H.I.E.L.D. don't have a deep roster. They have no superpowered people. The oh, closest they've got yes. to deal with superpowered stuff is two ordinary people with fighting skills and gadgets. You know, Incredible Hawkeye and Black Widow. And gadgets. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely good point here. Hawkeye and Black Widow use their tech and fighting skills to battle the Hulk. Hawkeye hits the Hulk with a taser arrow, a series of explosive bolts, freezes him in place with an ice arrow, 
and then blinds him with a high-intensity flashbang arrow. Ross disobeys shield orders and launches a rocket at the Hulk, which throws the creature against a tall rock, knocking it over and causing the shield jet to go out of control. But just before the plane hits the ground, Hulk grabs the jet and saves the pilot. But as soon as he does, he is instantly taken down by Black Widow using her widow sting to knock him unconscious. We've uh, we've never seen Hawkeye fight with such intensity. Uh, like it's in the MC. Like, is this what he's like in the comics? Lots of gadget arrows. Could we get a little bit of this here and there in like Hawkeye and some of it? Like the- one at a time. You have a special arrow, but like, this is a full volley mm. barrage of them. Yeah, very much so. Uh, what, I'm curious, what do you think of his costume in this? Oh, I was just trying to remember the costume. Is it the? Uh, is it more in line with the uh, film? <laughs> No, no, it's fully comic book costume. Oh, it's funny comic book costume. We've spoken about what I think about his funny comic book costume. It's the head bit I find a bit odd. But you did, did it struck you as weird in this? I I, I loved it because I love that costume. It's, but... Well, it's a, it's a cartoon, isn't it? If it's a cartoon, yeah. then I'm like, yeah, okay, it kind of fits cartoon. But I can't see them doing it in a film. I don't know. Some badass cosplays look pretty good to me, but they can't. Yeah. They, 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 you know, that's obviously when they relau- when they launched Avengers Assemble a couple of years later. They had him as man in black vest with glasses. <laughs> yeah, I saw the picture of that, and I was like, um, oh yeah, I can see what they've done here. Yeah. So yeah, he does in his first appearance. He's got a grappling hook arrow, um, an explosive tip arrow, mm. um, and acid arrows that melt oh. Iron Man's armor. That's um, interesting. And uh, yeah, he's he he uses a, a, a lots of of trick of trick arrows to when he's fighting you know all kinds of superpower beings and things like that. He's uh, he's got the net arrow and the gas arrow and the this that and the other. Yeah, it's is a green arrow and similar to Hawkeye or not? Well, in that they are archer themed characters. Yeah, um, from the Silver Age. Does he put it Silver Age? No, from the Silver Age, um, and they both do have trick arrows um, yeah. at, at at certain stages, and then they both move away from them and get so. So, I mean, aside from being arrow everything, but like when Green Arrow was first invented, he's got um, a teen sidekick, an arrow car. He's the, the arrow mobile. He's got <laughs> yeah. the arrow, ca- literally the arrow cave. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, when Kevin Smith writes the character. Uh, in the 90s he has him team up with Batman and uh, at one stage uh, he he says oh, come on we'll get in this arrow car I'll take you to the to the, the, the yeah. arrow cave and Batman says the arrow cave good god man have you never had an original <laughs> thought in your life <laughs> um, but yeah arrow, arrow themed superheroes yeah yeah kind of okay it, really cool so, so it's only because like you know I've got DC Unlimited so I was wondering oh should I just check that out instead at the cube, Bruce is locked up alongside all the other gamma-irradiated monsters. Doc Sampson extracts vials of Banner's blood and tells Bruce that he's going to keep looking for a cure. Banner says that he doesn't need a cure. He's come to, he's come to terms with being the Hulk and says that there is a place in this world for the Hulk. He can help people. Clint Barton visits Bruce Banner in his cell and questions why the Hulk chose to save the shield jet instead of escaping. Bruce points out that S.H.I.E.L.D. aren't keeping him locked up as a prisoner, they're locking him up to make more hulks, as evidenced by the authorities extracting Banner's blood. Clint decides to investigate Banner's claims and watches Black Widow take some of Bruce's blood from the containment room before trying to access Black Widow's secret S.H.I.E.L.D. files. To Barton's shock, Natasha Romanoff appears to be making a secret deal for Hulk's blood with Hydra. So, 
I the the cube was a bit weird. Uh, it, it it's like it's balanced. It looks like it can topple at any moment. It's like on its yeah. Corner. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah it, it's it, it's a it's a cube, but it, it stands upright on one corner. Um, yeah, it looked like, to me like it's held up by some sort of electromagnetic anti-gravity kind of thing Yeah, I wanted to see what the uh, inside blueprint is for that and how the cells fit and all the silver stairs and stuff happen but yeah, that's that's another day so <laughs> Will's realistic adventures continue oh, um, I'd to... like this cube to be uninhabitable and, un- <laughs> and, and then it wouldn't work and so they wouldn't do it and they'd instead just build a normal square building thank they, you they put, they put one prisoner in and he, he goes too far to the left it topples <laughs> over and he runs away <laughs> so in the cube scene we do see a lot of supervillains um uh, and Rob, you're the best one at this. Do we see anyone worth mentioning? Yeah, we saw the abomination. Oh yes, there I was a hook-like creature. Obviously, yep, the absorbed yep, yep. man's in there. We saw the green man with a very big head. The leader. Leader. Yep. Um, we see a guy in. He's got like this. He, he's kind of green. He's almost got like green, glowing green. But he's also got a costume on. He's the radioactive man. Um, radioactive man. Yeah. Um, it's this is a, a a Chinese national who becomes uh, radioactive powers and yeah. is an Iron Man villain and a Hulk villain. We see Zax. How many <laughs> and Zs? Do that in again. Name? It's three Zs in his name. Zax, um, wow. who is an electromagnetic consciousness. Oh, I see what they did there. Z- yeah, maybe maybe that maybe his name is meant to be Z. I don't know. Um, and he was a. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a sonically charged electromagnetic field that has some form of human intelligence. Mm. And the UFOs, <laughs> um, a supervillain team, they're sort of enemies of the Hulk. They, um, they've been, again, changed by radiation. Uh, Vector, who can... Uh, she's got telekinesis, vapor, who can transform into gas, gaseous kind of form. X-ray, who can generate... and um, and, and project radiation waves and ironclad who has a metallic body and can control his density they're the UFOs 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 they're UFOs okay. but foes they're UFO, UFOs oh I see UFOs yeah I get it I get it <laughs> very clever so that's who we saw that night following Romanov's car Clint ambushes the deal and demands to know the truth from Natasha. But Natasha then claims why Clint is the one betraying S.H.I.E.L.D. to Hydra, confusing Hawkeye. The next second, Natasha paralyses the Hydra agents, and the very next second, a S.H.I.E.L.D. jet flies in with Romanov. So many next seconds. (laughs) Yes, there's a... I mean, in this part of the story, seconds count. To to Uh, be fair to you, there there is always a next second. There is a next second. Shut up. Um... A S.H.I.E.L.D. jet flies in with Romanoff ordering the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to take down Hawkeye as the traitor. Hawkeye flights, fights off the other agents but is taken down by Natasha's widow sting. S.H.I.E.L.D. takes Clint into custody, custody while Natasha reports back to Hydra telling them the job is done and someone else has taken the fall for her. So, what's the relationship between Hawkeye and Black Widow in the comic books? Are they S.H.I.E.L.D. partners like this or does she betray him? Like, What's, what's going on here? They're not shield partners, no. Um, Black Widow first appears uh, in in the mid sixties in Iron Man as a 
uh, recur well, not well, maybe tales of suspense as a recurring Iron Man villain. She's like a femme fatale, not yeah. no powers. She's a KGB agent, um, and after her first couple of outings against Tony Stark, because she's sent to by the KGB to destroy Stark Industries, um, mm. and uh, runs a runs a foul of Iron Man, so she ends up. Um, Encountering a, a costumed archer, um, and who becomes absolutely besotted by her and falls completely under her femme fatale um, uh, web. Um, we, so Clint is is world's greatest marksman, circus act, and was inspired by Iron Man to put on a costume and become a hero and try and do some good using his amazing talents. Um, but the very first thing that happens is he stops a robbery with his bow and arrow and is mistaken for uh, an uh, you know an armed robber, mm. and so he's like oh no and he goes on the run and from that point on the cops have like an APB out on him and it's like Hawkeye the costume criminal robber guy and um, on the run from the cops he the naive young Hawkeye finds Black Widow who just gets him completely under her thrall um he's just described as being almost mindless you know he's the hunky he's the hunky beefcake guy mm. with the you know not very big brains who just does anything that the black widow wants him to do really and she manages to convince him that tony stark's a bad guy and stuff wow. and then you know he 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 um she gets hurt she's seriously injured um and instead of carrying on with the fight hawkeye saves her rescues her gets her to hospital um she disappears on him and he decides he kind of realizes he gets smartened up he becomes a straight shooter and eventually sorry those are his words i'm gonna be a straight shooter from now on um <laughs> you know it's a very stand line about an archer isn't it yeah, um, yeah yeah and he you know he goes on and, and joins the avengers and they they get back together as she tries to reform and there's a lot of tension in the team with that so Later, Natasha goes on to, of course, to become a very brilliant, accomplished S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. But Clint is way... In the comics, Clint is way too rebellious to, to, to join S.H.I.E.L.D. and to Like, he doesn't get on with any authority figure, even Captain America, who's like his big brother slash dad. He's like, still, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Here's my middle finger. Get away from me. <laughs> um, so there's always a strong, strong, strong connection between the two of them down the years because of how they started out together. Mm. And they have that deep connection like deeper than any other of the Avengers have with them. So it's kind of like a weird mix of old friends, ex-lovers, and maybe an older sister-slash-idiot-brother dynamic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't expect the amount of duplicity at the end. It really took me by surprise. You don't know what's going on? Like, who, no! Do, what, do, what? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, was, I was quite shocked. And how I, does it I, stack up to the... Sorry... No, 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 ask, ask, ask. How do these interpretations and presentations, which both come before... Uh, no, Romanoff is introduced in Iron Man 2, isn't she? But yeah. how how do these strike you compared to their MCU appearances in, in Phase 1? I, I, I liked this, because like, Romanoff is basically, in, in Iron Man 2, when she's introduced, it's like, oh, she isn't a secretary or an assistant she's actually a highly trained killer and then she's all badass but that i mean that's great but you don't get this level of who is she really working for she we you never get ever in the mcu get to see her be a spy ever 
No. Th- th- there's so many things. Like, she should have gone behind enemy lines against Loki or, or Thanos. Or, there should have been something where she is doing something spy-related rather than uh, kick you in the face and shoot you. <laughs> She's well. She's very spy in in terms of uh, Tom Cruise Mission Impossible spy, where you're not really being a spy. Yes, you're just yeah, doing you're really right. ridiculous stunts. Yeah, you're right. Whereas in the comics, she is like, you know, she'll be she'll she'll be kind of she'll infiltrate like a terrorist group for like two years or something. Yeah. Oh well. But I really love what they did here, and obviously uh, love return to, as much as I love the Gruffalo Mark Gruffalo. Uh, I. I do like a return to PTSD Bruce Banner. (laughs) It's time to go back in time, or through time, or forward in time. It's time to do something in time uh, with the Earth's Mightiest Heroes now. What is the next episode in this this journey, Will? Meet Captain America. In his throne room, Kang the Conqueror watches Files and Steve Rogers and his transformation into the super soldier Captain America in World War II. On a secret mission against Hydra, the Howling Commandos, along with a soldier known as Howlett, are ambushed by a Hydra squad outside an old Hydra tower. Just then, Captain America enters and takes down the machine gunner, pinning the commandos down. He says they've got an inside man who will help them break into the castle. As soon as I, uh, as Howlett said bub, my ears pricked up and I had to rewind just to make sure. To be sure of what, Will? Tell the audience. It's Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, Wolverine's um, uh, real name is James Howlett. It was kind of revealed around this time, I guess. Yeah. Although, strictly speaking, he would not have known that and had that during the Second World War. But there we go. Doesn't matter. Yeah, um, there we go. But yeah, but yeah, they they they're trying to they're trying to give you a reference if you've read the comics, which I thought and was this, really good. Yeah, really good. they they use the same voice actor as the as Wolverine in X Men Evolution, and oh, I believe absolutely. this this flashback scene appears in that cartoon series as well. It goes off in a different direction. We see what what Wolverine was doing as this kind of happened. Yeah, because so, you. You, you kind, you kind he of vanishes too much in the middle of this. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested in seeing that as well. So, w- away from uh, our our our, uh, our our healing doppel, not he- healing, lovely little friend. Uh, I was going to say doppelganger, but I was thinking of the Simpsons. Uh, okay, an, stay with us. Come on. I don't know. My mind's going all <laughs> over the place. It, it, all the references coming out. They don't make sense. Uh, just to catch up, Rob, who are the Howling Commandos? We saw them in the um, Captain America, the first Avenger movie. Yep, we did. But, of course, 2010, that hasn't come out yet. So no. um, this is kind of predating that appearance. Um, they are Sergeant, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Yeah. is a comic book created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, almost based on, based on a bet with the publisher of Marvel Comics, Martin Goodman, a bet to see, basically, can you take the most ridiculous name for a comic book and see if the... Lee Kirby magic can make it work <laughs> and for some Kirby reason the most magic. ridiculous name they came up with was Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos I mean um, it's pretty badass it's, it is yeah I don't know how much stock I place in that story because guess who told it Stan Lee <laughs> mm. and he is you know a, a promoter he's a carnival barker um, so it was a, a combat and war themed comic set during the height of World War 2 um, came out in the sixties, but was set in the forties, um, and featured an elite special unit, the first attack squad, nicknamed the Howling Commandos. Um, 
and and they borrowed for some some older kind of war comics that, that Jack Kirby had done. Um, so they kind of had a, a a diverse cast of of allied characters from uh, from across the across the spectrum. We had a British soldier modelled on David Niven, mm. an Italian American modelled after Dean Martin, mm. a German soldier that defected from the Nazis and worked with the Allies, and a Jewish American soldier who was the the first ever Jewish American hero in 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 mainstream comics. Oh wow! Um, and they're led by the gruff macho cigar chomping two eyed Sergeant Nick Fury, um, who marshals him through a number of battles against the Nazis. It's a straight up combat comic book. Yeah. Um, there are a dozen others being published by Marvel's competitors in the sixties. There was quite a there was quite a thing after after the war, you know, in the sixties, people still wanted war comics and stuff. They were um, popular over here, weren't they? You had a lot of well, we uh, had we were way more popular. Like we had them. In, I'm I'm reading them in the eighties. Mm. Black and white Charlie's War and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, initially, there was nothing to suggest that the Howling Commandos and Sergeant Fury took place in even the same realm as the Marvel Universe of the sixties with Spider Man and all that kind of stuff, but that went away when in September of 1963 Sergeant Fury met Reed Richards during World War II Ooh. this was like a younger Reed Richards from who fought during the, the, the Second World War mm. and this comic revealed that during the 40s Reed had worked for the OSS mm. um, and then in a 1964 uh, an issue depicted the Howling Commandos fighting alongside Captain America and Bucky so that really those two events made Nick Fury, an official, and the Howling Commanders, an official part of the the shared Marvel universe. Mm. This isn't Nick Fury here, though, in this cartoon. Oh no, it's not. It's uh, it's it's, it's his dad, Nick Fury's dad. I think I don't know if it's Jake or something, Jake Fury or something. It could be um, because there's a you know when in the 1960s it was fine to have characters that started out in the 40s and now were a bit older. But with Marvel's sliding time scale, yeah, if you were young in the 40s, it's now 2010, you wouldn't be around. So, or you'd be very, very, very old. So this, we don't have... In the Marvel Universe, Nick Fury was a soldier in the Second World War. He uh, is still around in the 60s, and he becomes a spy. And then over the years, they explain that he stays young by taking something called the Infinity Formula, which is a weaker version of the Super Soldier Serum. Mm. Um, but I guess in this in this in this cartoon series, they just wanted to do, uh, you know, it's a son and a father and stuff. That's fair. Uh, what was I going to say? I was go- uh, I was going to say something. It's amazing. You have the sliding time scale. But they always go like Captain America always fought in World War Two. That's the yeah fixed point in time. Yeah, because you've got time. he's in the ice. He just stays in the ice longer. That's all it yeah. does with that. <laughs> yeah, that's the sliding time scale is how long he stays in the ice. Yeah, of that. yeah. In the comics books, did uh, I, I see Wolverine fought in World War Two? Uh, and did he ever team up with Captain America? If he did. We don't learn anything about this until the 90s. Um, an mm. issue of Uncanny X-Men features a flashback, and we see Captain America teaming up with a Russian agent called Ivan Petrovich to rescue um, a young girl that's been kidnapped. Mm. Um, and Cap and Ivan encounter trouble early on in their case when they come against The Hand, um, 1940s version of The Hand, an elite group of ninjas. Um, and the odds are fully stacked against them uh, until they receive help from an unexpected ally over in Japan by the name of Logan. Or is it Madripoor? It's Madripoor, not Japan, which is the fictional Asian island that Marvel use. Uh, Logan turns up, 
Um, as an enemy of the hand, Logan decides to team up with the other two heroes and continue his fight against the hand. Um, and the crossover doesn't stop there. The uh, They learn that the young girl in question is Natasha Romanov, the future Black Widow. Mm. Um, and this begins a very close relationship between Logan and Black Widow that has remained for, for, for decades on that. She's abducted by the hand because of her skills and strengths, you know, an unmatched warrior at her age and all that kind of stuff. I'm not entirely sure how that ties in with the Red Room and all that other stuff that they've added to Black Widow's origins over the years. But yes, there's an example mm. there of them. I think it's the only time they met in during the war. Um, and it was away from the the Western Front. Okay, cool. Meanwhile, the Red Skull tells Baron Von Strucker to retaliate against Captain America with their new specimen. As Cap and the Howling Commandos fight their way towards the tower, a grenade takes down one of the commandos. The castle doors are opened up by Cap's inside man, his young sidekick, Bucky. Bucky reveals he's been stealthily mapping out the interior of the castle and knows exactly where they need to go. As Cap and Bucky enter the tower, they come face to face with a giant cyclops like something out of Lord of the Rings. Bucky is spooked by the creature and Cap says it might be one of Armand Zola's uh, twisted experiments. Goading the monster after him, Cap tricks it into f- destroying the drawbridge under its feet, causing the monster to plunge into the ravine below. I like... Uh, they they got the original boy wonder genre of Bucky here. He's like he's definitely supposed to be like Robin. Yeah, it, like, yeah he's he's capable. He's smart. He's wisecracking. Yep. He's more much more lighthearted than Cap is. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And this is what he was like in the original stories. They've captured it here, haven't they? No. <laughs> oh, no. I thought it's, I thought no. it, I assumed this was supposed to be because of the drastic change from the films. No, so like in the Bucky doesn't really get to do anything cool in the forties. Oh. He's he, you know, he's he's there to for the main character to explain the plot to, and he's there to get kidnapped so the hero has more motivation. Um, but he doesn't really get to do anything that cool. I mean, don't get me wrong, he does hit Nazis occasionally, mm. um, but he's not. It, it it's only in like later stories in the seventies and eighties. So Stanley hated Bucky. So when he launches the, you know, he kicks off this new Marvel age in the sixties and and brings Captain America into it, um, mm. because of course Captain America predates Stan Lee uh, as a writer and Stan Lee, all these characters that he created, um, Captain America and Bucky are creations of Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. Um, when he decides he wants to fold. Captain America into the the new Marvel universe. One thing he's adamant about is that Bucky won't be involved. Mm. He hates Stan. Hates the idea of child sidekicks. Hates that hates them at DC and has loads them at DC. So he has this. As soon as Captain America kind of like wakes up in the sixties, we get this flashback that shows Bucky being killed, and he's like, right, mm. that's it. No, 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 Bucky. No, 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 kid sidekicks. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, we get a lot more kind of flashbacks that do paint Bucky much more like this, mm. like how Robin was depicted in the Bronze Age, like capable and you know fun loving and but all that kind of stuff, and then in the Winter Soldier storyline that kind of introduces that as a concept. Writer Ed Brubaker and artist Steve Epting present a very modern, updated version of Bucky mm. um, that is completely completely changes everything we know about the character. In the revised 
Marvel canon. Um, a sixteen-year-old Bucky, not very, not not super young as he was originally presented. Sixteen-year-old Bucky undergoes rigorous commando and special ops training under the direction of the SAS, the British SAS, um, in nineteen forty. Mm. In forty-one, he's assigned to be Captain America's partner, acting as his backup, his advanced scout, like we see here. A symbol of American youth and patriotism to combat the Hitler Youth Movement. Mm. But also, he's there to do the jobs that the military don't want Captain America to perform. Like to preserve Mm. Cap's reputation as a noble soldier and a living symbol. So, Bucky is cutting throats he's a sniper he's sabotage <laughs> like he's do, he's a lot of dirty work a lot of wet work that's how they portray bucky in this modern retelling so that's different from 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 this um and different from the mcu as well but that was um yeah that's the it, it's it's not yeah there's lots of slightly different versions of bucky oh yeah yeah it sounds like it Inside the lab, Cap and Bucky investigate some of the more hideous of Hydra's experiments specimens, which look to us like mythical creatures. However, Red Skull anticipated their entry, and the two heroes are caught by a squad of Hydra troops. Red Skull tells the two his plan uh, of his plan to open the gateway to the Bifrost Bridge in order to get access to the Nine Realms and claim any mythical beast within for his army. Using an old Norse artifact, the Hydra scientists open the portal. A frost giant begins to emerge. Cap gives the signal to Bucky to make the jump on their captors now that they're being distracted by the frost giant. I love this Indiana Jones stuff. You know, Nazis obsessing over the occult and supernatural. Mm. It's like it's, it's my crack. Was it, is, that- it, is it based in like a, a real thing? What, the Nazis and the occult? Yeah, Hitler and the occult. Oh, I've, I've done a little bit of reading on this. I, I think there was, like, theoretical stuff, but it was, like, it was mm. never really properly pursued like right. it was in this. Um, if you want to hear, you know, obviously there were a lot of other horrible stuff going on and absolutely weird stuff. There's a, there's a book I read called the, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, huge famous book and the, and the amount of weird stuff that goes on is mental. But, yeah, um, occult, supernatural, no... No, they were they were, mm. they were they were they were a bit more practical than that. Makes for a good story. Makes yeah, it it does because I like we the want, old we Jones want to, and- we very much want to tie Hitler and the Nazis to like darkness and and Satan stuff. Yeah, and that's that's very much up our tree, isn't it? Yeah, I, I loved uh, there was a game Return to Castle Wolfenstein. That was brilliant. That was that was like them accidentally opening up a crypt and unleashing zombies on everybody. It was great. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. However, shutting off the power to the portal generator, Cap accidentally unleashes all the other Asgardian beasts from their captivity, which immediately start attacking them as well as the Hydra guards. Bucky faces against a sword-wielding Baron Von Strucker, who accidentally lunges uh, his blade into the machinery, electrocuting himself. Suddenly, the portal reactivates, allowing the frost giant to enter the room, but Cap gives Bucky the order to damage the portal generator, causing the frost giant to disappear and the tower to start crumbling. In the Marvel comics, does does Red Skull ever get involved with Asgard? Does he ever try and get a portal to the Bifrost Bridge, or is this their way of tying everything together? Okay. Okay. I am convinced... (laughs) <laughs> I remember a story where the Red Skull 
or Zemo, think of the Red Skull, summons uh, Thor, but in Ooh. the 40s. Hmm. So it isn't, bec- and, and this is a st- time when... In the when, 40s. In the 40s, yeah. In 40s. The, what are you it's saying a pun. 40s for? Thor. 40s, Thor, 40s. It's not a pun, they're two separate words. Thor and Thor are different words. They sound differently. If but you have a correct, proper British accent, <laughs> they sound different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm convinced I remember there being a story where Red Skull summoned Thor in the 40s, and because of that, it wasn't the superhero Thor, because mm. that's Dr. Donald Blake. It was, uh, but, but you know what? I looked and looked and looked and looked in research for this episode, and I could not find evidence of it anywhere. So I'm mm. going to say no. <laughs> I, maybe I dreamed it or I imagined it. I don't know. Um, in general, like all the stories I can, I definitely remember reading and have and, and looked at and stuff, uh, Red Skull has always been really tech-based. Mm. Um, that leads to the creation of, of Hydra and stuff. Um, so it's interesting, to your point, how they, they've gone in this Indiana Jones direction yeah. before the first Avenger movie comes out and they do exactly what they're doing here. Oh, that's a very good point. Very good point. Cap and Bucky chase after the Red Skull as one of the tower's turrets crumbles away to reveal an escape rocket. Cap orders Bucky to stay behind and secure the fortress while Cap grabs onto the side of the Skull's rocket. However, Bucky disobeys Cap and joins him on the side of the rocket. Smashing the cockpit open, Cap thinks he finally has the Red Skull but the Hydra villain arms a bomb on the rocket before ejecting. Cap orders Bucky to jump, but Bucky has caught his leg in the rocket. Cap's young sidekick pushes Cap off the rocket and into the cold waters below, telling him that the world needs Captain America more than Bucky. I love how they still retained the sad ending, even though it's a cartoon. Yeah, well that's Marvel for you, isn't it? Marvel's got to break your heart. Sadness. Sadness is in the DNA of Marvel. Yeah, this this really sets things up really well. So is this how Bucky dies in the original comics? Because it does ring a bell when we discuss this in our Captain America episode. It's sort of, but not really. Here we go. Um, so it's not Red Skull. Red Skull's not involved. It's Baron Zemo, Baron Zemo, mm. um, the, who has the you know the, the very interesting hood. Although you, you don't know that because you haven't seen him, but he does. He has this really cool purple hood, um, and. Yeah, so instead of instead he's not trying to escape, but he's armed uh, a drone, um, uh, a a remote control drone plane with a bomb, and he's going to mm. launch it into America, and only Cap and Bucky can stop it, and they jump on, and Bucky jumps on as well, and he shouldn't have done, and instead of his boot getting caught, it's his sleeve, it's his arm, um, but yeah, pretty much all, most of it remains the same. They're flying over the Arctic. Mm. Um, Cap lets go and falls off. Bucky can't let go, gets caught up, and it explodes. But of course, that's not part of the 1940s comics at all, or even the 50s. It's it's a flashback that is introduced um, when Captain America wakes up in the Marvel Universe of the 1960s. Aha, there we go. So back in Kang's throne room, the Conqueror watches the footage mourning Cap and Bucky's demise, and hints he may know where the super soldier is. Kang travels into the past and begins observing Cap and Bucky storm the tower back during the war. Kang skips through the events of the tower, travelling to the moment the rockets exploded, killing Bucky and sending Cap into the icy waters so he can get the exact location. 
So is there a big connection between Kang and Captain America in the comics? Not like it's presented here, no. Um, mm. There's so it, um, there's a really great... They're using the name for the upcoming movie, but Kurt Busiek uh, got a 2001 Avengers story called Kang Dynasty. Mm. Um, and in that, Kang outright says that it's an honour to face Steve Rogers one-on-one. <laughs> Mm. Um, he, he's a worthy opponent. You know, Kang yeah. is like the as, when you think of Kang, you know, it, Kang the Conqueror is his name. Mm. You think of him like this, this kind of Roman, this great Roman general. That's certainly what he tries or wants to model himself after. So he does yeah. respect and warriors. That's what he he respects. Um, and so, but it also shows us that like Captain America's exploits are mm. legendary, even into the far flung future. Ah, um, there we go. Yeah. Around a similar time, we, as we've covered in our, one of our amazing bonus episodes on the Young Avengers, we see a, a teenage version of Kang um, gets inspired by Steve Rogers and wants to become a hero. Um, for more on that, you got to head to the Patreon, baby. Um, it, just last year, there was a Kang series that came out, a new Kang comic, um, where older Kang is trying to mentor a younger version of himself mm. to cr- hoping to create a better and superior version of Kang mm. um, but when he but he starts to, the younger version starts to gravitate towards the ideas of, of heroism um, and Kang shuts this down and he uses um, Alexander the Great and Captain America as examples of like iconic heroes throughout history that are flaws and they don't get everything done the way they should have done and um, the ideals of a hero are flaws in a great man. So there's 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 some sort of you know I don't know what to call it. There is a, a psycho image, but but it's not it's not tied in like this. No, not t- yeah, not tied in this way. He's not obsessively trying to find him. Traveling back to his ship, the huge Democles one, Damocles, Ca- Damocles. I always the thought it was Democles. No, the sword of Damocles, not the Damocles. It's D A. You see that A D A M Dam. It's a suggested, eh? Uh, the huge Damocles what, what one. We, what we get later on, mm-hmm. which I think is nice, is that literally oh, the no. ship called Damocles no. is hanging over the no. earth. It's brilliant. No, that's that's just prophetic. That is really like wonderful. We got to. He goes, you know, what we got to do at some point, lads. Ships hanging over him. Yeah, see what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, traveling back to a ship, the huge Damocles one. Kang is informed that the fabric of time and space is rupturing. He sees futuristic cities being wiped out, his entire timeline being wiped out. Kang realises that Captain America is the reason for this rupture and is puzzled at how a dead super soldier could be responsible. Suddenly, the penny drops for the Conqueror and orders his war fleet to time jump to Earth in the past. However, just before the time jump, time and space start to rupture, destroying Kang's home planet and timeline and almost erasing his wife from existence. Arriving in orbit of Earth, Kang vows to conquer Captain America's timeline in order to save his timeline, as well as his wife, who starts phasing in and out of reality. Well, for a start, I wasn't expecting to see... Kang the Conqueror pop up so early because mm. I, you know, my structure is with the MCU. Also, it, obviously, again, major things set up for the cartoon, and I, 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 I'm led to believe Kang is a bigger threat than Thanos, and it's really, really hammering at home here. And also, we're seeing reasons for his actions. While we're not really rooting for him, we can understand why he's doing this, which again, 
great for a kid's cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. He's absolutely. not cackling madman. He's actually got reasons to what he's doing. He's got something, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you, how does this um portrayal of Cap and Bucky um compare to that that movie, The First Avenger? Uh not much peg. What? Peggy. Oh Peggy right, Carter. okay. No not much Carter. Yeah, she, she, yeah, she's not in this. She's not in this. There's no eye candy. There's no eye candy. No. I know. I know. Yeah, it's got um, Natalie Dormer in as well, that movie. So, God, anyway. yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and if we're talking eye candy, it's got a topless Chris Evans. Now, there's some eye candy. The the top, the eye candy is peak when he's uh, doing a thing with the helicopter. That's <laughs> that, that just works on so many levels. Anyway, I like this. Uh, it did feel like a very short story. Uh, compared to like a big arc, it was it was a very quick hate. This is something that Captain America did that led to him being in the ice. Uh, I liked it. I liked what they did with Bucky. I liked uh, the way they tied in the Asgard stuff as well with the Red Skull. It was just good. But the whole overarching narration of it being from the perspective of Kang the Conqueror watching an old World War Two video. It's like, oh, that's a great. You've got layered storytelling here. This is brilliant. The world building that's going on. Yes. Yeah, we've, we've, we've not only got Cap in World War Two, but it's connected mm. to Asgard and it's connected to uh, a, a high-tech villain from the future. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on right here. So much going on. We've had Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. We've had Hulk. It's time for the little man in the big house. Take it away, Will. (laughs) The man in the anthill. In a remote jungle near Wakanda, a group of armed mercenaries led by Ulysses Claw ambush a shield installation in search of a significant scientific discovery. Inside the installation, Hank Pym is examining a sample of vibranium which S.H.I.E.L.D. has discovered outside the secretive nation of Wakanda. Pym is the very first scientist to ever get to examine vibranium as it all resides within Wakanda. So individual stories, uh, when does the rest of the world first encounter vibranium? Because I assumed Captain America's S.H.I.E.L.D. was made out of vibranium. I think that's come in and out over the years. Originally, it was not, no. It mm. was a special metal alloy. Yeah. Um, vibranium came, was introduced you know, a little bit later on. That They tied that mm. idea in. Um, it, it, according to canon, according to Marvel Comics 616 history, the um, vibranium is d- deposited on Earth by a meteorite 10,000 years ago. Mm. Um, the first documented discovery of vibranium um, by non-Wakandans is during an expedition to Antarctica. Um, but this is like a there's like two versions of, of vibranium. The Antarctic version of vibranium has completely different properties. This is known as antimetal because it has the property of dissolving other metals. Very different to Wakandan variety of of, of vibranium. Um, uh, which which is only exists in, in, in Wakanda and this absorbs uh, vibration, sound waves, kinetic energy, things like that. Mm. Um, and it make by absorbing that it makes the metal stronger. Um, and so the Wakandas concealed their country from the outside world and uh, King T'Chaka funds his country's incredible education and, and, and tech and everything like this by occasionally selling off minuscule quantities which are worth 
huge amounts of money um, and, and it becomes one of the most technologically advanced nations and all of that now during the early 40s a small amount of wakandan vibranium comes into the possession of a scientist called myron mclean hmm. he tried to combine vibranium with iron to make a new kind of tank armor but he was completely unable to fuse the elements they would not fuse together Though one morning, um, he did not know what had happened, but he found that the two materials had bonded on their own accord in an unknown manner. Unable to replicate it, he found that the it had made it an ultra-resilient alloy, and that one piece was made to use Captain America's shield. Mm. He worked. McLean worked for decades to try and replicate this success, um, the accident, but uh, utterly failed. Um, but one of the experiments in the 1960s led to the virtually indestructible metal known as adamantium. Ah, there it is. There, there's the uh, there's the tie-in. In the middle of his work, the mercenaries break into the lab, with his men holding Hank at gunpoint. Claw takes the vibranium sample for, from Pym before Hank activates a device on his person that seems to make him disappear. Okay, so, to just interrupt you there, I love how this looks. Yeah. So Ant-Man works using Pym particles, mm. and he presses a button on his costume, and it's almost like you can see a liquid floating up through his costume. The mm. bubbles, the particle things seem to bubble up through the through the black, and it's you don't, I don't think I've ever seen it portrayed like that ever in the comics. I just thought it was so cool. Loved it. Oh, it was great, it was great. Suddenly the mercs are taken down by Ant-Man, shrinking down to a virtually invisible size and using his incredible strength. Claw uses the vibranium sample in an experimental sonic weapon to tear down the lab. With no time to lose, Ant-Man struggles towards a big red button which shrinks the entire installation and whomever is inside to shrink to down to ant size. Probably just me uh, at the beginning of this, but Claw's troops, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, they seem to be modelled... After the team from Predator, if you, did you notice this? I, I I saw your note and I went to have a look. It's true, isn't it? You've got the Carl the guy kind of like Carl Weathers. You've got the Native American guy, and you've got Jesse Ventura in his cowboy hat. Here's what I'll say: What the Carl Weathers guy doesn't look anything like Carl Weathers. He's just a black guy. <laughs> does that guy? That guy looks nothing like Jesse Ventura, but he does have the hat. Mm-hmm. So that lends some credence. The Native American guy looks exactly like the Native American guy. So I don't know. I'm I'm highly tuned to to Jesse Ventura. I did not detect any Jesse. The hat uh, was a bit similar though. So yeah, you, you you might have something there. Yeah, I I, I just picked up on it. Also, I just picked up on it. And went is there supposed to be predator shrinking down the entire lab? Though that is pretty cool. Like uh, has that has that man ever done like something like that in the comics as a kind of a backup plan? Around. Well, shrinking big things. So around this 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 time period, two thousand ten, mm-hmm. Hank Pym forms his own team of Avengers. Um, he he's uh, calling himself the Wasp at the time. He's not Ant Man. He's the Wasp. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Janet had died, and so he takes her name uh, to kind of honor her. And he has his headquarters, which uses Pym particles to fold reality, kind of like the TARDIS, and give them a huge space behind a tiny small door. Right, so he 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 is shrinking vast spaces into a tiny one, but doing it in a slightly different way. Um, and so you open a door, and you know inside this space, there's like it's as big as an aircraft, you know, an aircraft carrier or an air hangar. There's there's jets in there and cars in there and all that kind of. But it's just behind a normal regular door somewhere. He only needs to rent a small space or a uh, a small area, 
and he can use pin particles to shrink huge areas down. And yeah, the uh, he, he's recognized at the time as instead of the sorcerer supreme, he's recognized the scientist supreme of mm. of Earth, and they try to give him a big shot in the arm and and um, kind of increase how important he is to the to the Marvel universe. Yeah, um, yeah, and this is interesting because this predates them doing something similar in the Ant-Man movie where they shrink down an entire um an entire office block don't they into a that was it. foldable yeah, case they, they yeah they they shrink down the entire lab i remember that that was that was really good surrounded by seemingly giant ants claw faces up against ant-man and the two fight just as claw tries to fire his weapon at ant-man the scientist enlarges himself and claw back to normal size and uppercuts the villain as he grows in size a backup shield team arrives alongside the Wasp to see what the disturbance was, only to find Hank Pym in the uh, damaged and now normal-sized lab, continuing his research. Uh, also worth knowing here, uh, Claw is played by Mark Hamill. King of villains. King of villains. Uh, voice of the Joker in the Batman animated series and way other, way more other things. Great I, uh, voice actor. Yeah. I, I, I really loved the um, immediately the, the interaction and... and, and dynamic between hank and wasp like yes. she rushes back in and he's just not even he's just back to work uh, <laughs> and he and and she's oh word science i loved i loved that he's uh it's really fun yeah it's, it's it's really nice that back in new york janet van dyne compares uh sorry complains to hank about the boring nature of his research before seeing a small tornado ripping up the street outside without a moment to lose Janet dons her wasp suit and chases down the tornado. Shooting lasers at the tornado, the weather phenomenon stops, revealing it to be a supervillain. Whirlwind. The two fight, with the wasp taking down the green menace fairly quickly, but Whirlwind gets back up and chases after the wasp, tearing a police car in half along the way, leading the villain through the streets. The wasp tricks him into flying into a cloud of flying ants set up by Ant-Man. As Whirlwind struggles with the cloud of insects, Ant-Man and the Wasp argue about how they, they should use uh, be using their abilities. The Wasp wants them to use their powers uh, and inventions to save people, but Ant-Man would much rather they stick to scientific study. Just then, Whirlwind breaks free from the cloud and comes after Wasp. He unleashes a barrage of deadly blades inside a Whirlwind, but the Wasp is able to shrink down and avoid every single one. Whirlwind is stunned and Ant-Man is impressed as Janet then blasts the villain with her wasp sting, knocking him out. I really love Janet's hair and antenna she wears as the wasp. There's something really nice about I don't know, yeah. that's a weird comment, but like I I kinda like it. Yeah. It sort of flicks up at the back and then you have this cool antenna. Yeah. It works. Uh Whirlwind. We've come across Whirlwind before, haven't we? Indeed we have. He's a very prolific Marvel villain. In fact, this is his uh and he's appeared in seven different Marvel cartoons over the years, mm. um, and and four or five Marvel video games. Um, one of my all-time favorite villain designs, the the comic book version anyway. This cartoon version is okay. It's not quite as angular as I like. Um, yeah, I remember him being angular when you showed me a picture. Yeah, so he's a mutant with the ability to spin. Um, oh, they're introducing mutants here. Okay, they're doing the uh, crossover soon. Sorry. 
Well, the, the the X-Men crossover I'm talking about, you know, the that they've been talking about with this cartoon. I'm just being in the comic books, he's a mutant. Oh, in the comic books, he's a mutant. Okay. Yeah, and he's got the ability to spin really, really, really fast. And he begins his criminal career as a jewel thief called the Human Top, um, uh, which is a, like a spinning top. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. We don't think we call them tops in this country, do we? I don't know what we call them. Uh, uh, anyway. I forgot the name of them. Mm, like a spinny thing. Anyway, yeah. uh, he gets beaten a bunch of times and he redesigns his costume. He puts some blades on his arm, puts a helmet on and, and calls himself a whirlwind, which is a really great upgrade from the human spinning top. Um, <laughs> he, uh, for a period of time, has a secret identity as the Wasp's chauffeur, Janet Van Dyne's chauffeur. Mm. Um, and uh, it, her identity is known to the public. It's like it's, it's a public thing. And she's a famous celebrity and a fashion kind of icon. So he gets a job as her chauffeur. And he was initially hoping to gain info that would help him defeat Giant Man and the Avengers. Um, but then stuck around because he really, really fancies the Wasp. And he was <laughs> his plan was to like try and kill Giant Man and then when she's really upset she'll fall into my arms and I'll console her and all that kind of stuff. Um, he becomes a, an Avengers villain by, by joining another iteration of the Masters of Evil. Um, this one ran by Ultron. He also joined the, the, the Lethal Legion and some other... He, he's Several of the writers have brought back this kind of obsession he has with the uh, with the Wasp over the years. So it's a you know makes sense hmm. for him to turn up here when we get the first Wasp story. Okay, okay, okay. So obviously in the Ant Man movie we see a different Wasp. Uh, this is Janet Van Dyne in the cartoon. Uh, in in the movie it's not Janet Van Dyne, is it? It's uh... no, it's Hope Van Dyne. Hope but then Van Dyne. Janet yeah. is the wife of. It's a problem because the yeah, it's all twisted in the, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I know. Yeah. So what 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 is she like in the comics? Is she, is this close to the comics? This this version of the wasp. Some aspects, yeah, like definitely yeah. the 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 thrill seeking, being bored, like not being interested in science and being bored of Hank's work. Yes, mm. and that's played up in a very funny way. Yeah. Um, thrill seeking aspect, definitely. She like mm. she's uh, she wants the thrill of heroics and she wants to be way more active and and superheroy than Hank does. Um, and the sense of humor. Like, I, I think comic book Janet's probably a little bit, I don't know if catty is a loaded term, but she's a, <laughs> she's always got an insult or a jibe and something. Yeah. I absolutely love her portrayal in this cartoon series as yeah. it goes on. It's brilliant. She's designed to be the glue that holds the team together, encourages friendship and teamwork. She's the one who really believes that it's important for them to do what they're doing, to be a team. Um, and she fights them to stay together. And she, she thinks it's cool as well. She thinks it's really good. She, she That's not a role she actually has in the comic books, but there is something mm. symbolic in it because in the first Avengers issue, Janet is the one, the Wasp is the one that comes up with the name, the Avengers. She names them. Ah, so you okay. could sort of say that okay. she has this almost she has this almost kind of like symbolic kind of position as like quite important to the Avengers team and they really do a, I think they do a better job of her characterization in, in this cartoon series and I think in the comics. No, no, no I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this one. We also got some Easter eggs. Uh, a cab driver is reading a newspaper, and the headlines are "Vigilante punishes again," and <laughs> "Man like Thing stalks upstate." Fantastic, Punisher and Man Thing. Yep. Um, I take. Do they do they appear in this cartoon? No. That's that's a a shame. Unless I like when Punisher there might be there up. might be cameos because we get a lot of cameos, but I don't mm. think so. 
I think the Punisher cameo in Spider Man. I watched the animated series Spider Man. Oh. Punisher cameo. Cap. That was that's good. more than a cameo. That's a that's a guest star. Okay, it's a guest star. Yeah, I mean, oh, fighting we, vampires. It was giant so spiders. Good. Yeah, so good. At the big house, Whirlwind is led past an array of other supervillains to his cell, telling the other bad guys to break out with their powers. Whirlwind uses powers to destroy the guard robots, but before he can escape, a giant hand crashes through the ceiling, and Whirlwind is pinned down by a huge finger. As it turns huge out, huge finger, huge, <laughs> huge finger, huge finger. As it turns out, the big house is actually a shrunken prison, and Hank Pym is the one leaning his fingertip on Whirlwind. Nick Fury enters and thanks both Ant-Man and the Wasp for their help before telling them that they should work for S.H.I.E.L.D. So, again, uh, we're seeing another prison for supervillains. Uh, who, who can we see in the big house? Does the big house joke resonate for you? Is that uh, it resonates? Yeah, me because it's, it's an ironic you... name because it's small. no, just because it's not a term we use in this country. It's an American term for jail. It's just whether house. you've absorbed it through pop culture. I mean, I I had oh, through comic oh, books, so I, I don't know. Totally got the double meaning here. Yeah. I got the double meaning. Don't you worry. Well, we see because this is so. This prison is for genetically altered. So we've had. Um, tech-based criminals and then irradiated criminals, and this is ones that have altered their uh, genetics to give themselves mm. powers. Um, we see the first thing. I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't see it in your notes, but we get an f load of Ultrons wandering around. Are those Ultrons? Yep, curly dots in the all... mouth. Those are Ultrons. Yes, because I remember you telling me it's Hank Pym. Who Hamp, cre- Hank Pym is the father and the creator of Ultron. I so didn't recognise. We Ultron. get this little. Mm. We we we're just laying these things in, baby. Yeah. Um, we see obviously that the the next door neighbour to Whirlwind is the Mad Thinker. Um, I am just a humble thinker, although some call me mad. Is because he'd never call himself <laughs> the Mad Thinker. So they lay yeah. that in. The Monkey Dude is Mandrill. Um, Mandrill okay. is a mutant who looks like a monkey man and has powerful pheromones that he can use to make any woman fall in love with him and be deeply attracted to him and be basically his love slave. Mm. Um, it's a weird, <laughs> creepy character. Um, we saw Armin, Armin Zola, the guy with the... He hasn't got a head. He's got a TV in his chest with a picture of his head. You know that wow. guy? Oh, um, we've dealt with him before, um, oh, and he he's Sorry, played yeah. by um, that great English actor Toby somebody in the Toby Young in the not, uh, Winter Soldier Young. and stuff. Anyway, um, and the, Toby the, Jones, Toby Jones, that's it. And the uh, the great gargoyle drinking, sipping tea, and and chatting away in mm. French. He can turn anyone to stone. We see him in the Iron Man cartoon series from the nineties. We looked at. Um, I thought their cells were interesting. Like I, okay. I, I, so it, it, so to me, so Grey Gargoyle, Grey Gargoyle has a little cup of tea and some nice furniture. The Mad Thinker has a, a blackboard and school equipment to work on, <laughs> and the Mandrel has a hammock to oh, relax yeah. in. They're all different. And a little mm. bit later on, Hank talks about how I designed these prisons to help people, and it feels like <laughs> they're not the same prison cell. You know, we, in the Gamma. In the gamma base, yeah. whatever that was called, they were strapped to the wall. I want to be uh, Hank Pym's uh, prisoner because he's gonna get me a hammock and a nice cup of tea and 
Sort me he, he out. Doesn't, he, he wants to keep you in there, and you've got to be kept in there if you have something to keep you occupied. He wants to rehabilitate to you, yeah. Yeah, so that people forget that about prison. It's not just to punish, it is to rehabilitate. One of the Nordic countries, there's a great documentary about their amazing, I forget which Nordic country it was, but their amazing rehabilitation rate and how their prisons we might look at and say, oh, that's soft, that's not punishing them. But yeah. the approach that they all take is, this guy is going to be my neighbour in 15 years. That's mm. how we approach prisons. I thought that was an interesting yeah, pr- way of doing it. Improve them. Yeah, we, we have a thing of, oh, whatever it is, just lock all, lock them up and throw away the key. We don't care about them. And <laughs> that's, that's really helped, hasn't it? That's done wonders. Yeah, that's, that's, that's done wonders for the last few hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to, back to the story. On board the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, uh, Fury offers Hank and Janet to work with them, but Hank disagrees with the way S.H.I.E.L.D. imprisons villains without means of rehabilitating them. Hank says he created the big house specifically for criminals whose genetics had been altered in order to give them powers, but he notices that not one of the criminals has gone to trial or been released yet. Fury tries to recruit Ant-Man and the Wasp to join a team of heroes, but Hank outright refuses. He doesn't want to be part of a group of super-powered soldiers. Pym is totally against violence. Fury reveals that Whirlwind was working with Claw and that Hank should rethink his position on imprisoning supervillains. Just then, Fury is informed that Whirlwind is a mutant. In his next in his cell, Whirlwind struggles to break out, but is told by the super genius villain in the next cell that his attempts to escape are embarrassing. The villain in the next cell, known as the Mad Thinker, has deduced that this is one of f- one in four prisons designed to contain supervillains. The Big House, the Cube, the Vault, and a fourth underwater prison as yet unseen. The Mad Thinker says that S.H.I.E.L.D. thinks they all have the perfect system, but, like all systems, it will eventually be broken down, and they'll all be free. So, obviously, mentions of mutants here. Again, we're getting... I like these little X-Men stuff trickling in. Because we're now getting this in the MCU. We're getting the little X-Men stuff trickling in. I think you're viewing it through that lens i don't think it's really got anything to do with the x-men like i know it's they, I, said I, they did but mutant in in the in the wider marvel universe is so much bigger than just the x-men uh, they're just a, there's tons of like non-x-men villains that are mutants like mandrill okay. and like we said the the whirlwind and stuff i think it's just another explanation i but i yeah they don't get me wrong they're the yeah maybe maybe it was yeah maybe but it's I, not I like, like in the MCU where someone says mutant and everyone goes <gasps> and we get the mini 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 it's just it's like a regular part of the MC, of the of the Marvel universe okay in wakanda Bumbaku, the man-ape, has made a challenge to the throne of Wakanda with the king, Black Panther, ignoring the pleas of his son, Chitala, to not rise to the challenge as it could mean the end of their reign. Umbaku fights Black Panther in fierce combat with Black Panther knocking Umbaku to the ground. As Black Panther chides Umbaku for disrespecting him with his challenge, an unseen figure uses the sonic weapon from earlier on Black Panther, giving Umbaku the advantage before the towering warrior smashes Black Panther in the face, breaking the Wakandan monarch's mask and emerging victorious. Everyone bows to their new king, apart from Chitala, who runs into his father's temple, swearing revenge. As Umbaku looks at his newly inherited vibranium mine, his ally, Claw, brandishing the sonic weapon, celebrates their new vibranium deal. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, 
I guess that can you should we run through what these episodes have set up? Yes, yeah, that's um, so because it's so an fun. awful lot of story story plots dangling. It's a lot. It's starting a lot of threads, a lot of world building. First of all, we got a huge problem with supervillains cropping up everywhere to the point they're using code blue. Code blue. I think. Code blue. Uh, a combustible problem with supervillain prisons about to break down. So we're going to see a lot more supervillains by the sounds of it. Shields trying to create their own super sold, superpowered soldiers. Loki manipulating things from behind the scenes. The future being erased and Kang traveling to conquer the present day. Wakanda and its vibranium being controlled by Claw and the Man Ape. Bloody hell. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Like that sounds like a season I want to watch. <laughs> well, I, I I am gonna watch this. I've put it down I've just put it down on my list of things to watch, but I got so I, my, my list of TV shows and films to watch keeps what? contracting and expanding. It's really weird. This but, this will not be the last time we delve into Earth's Mightiest Heroes because there's good. so many cool stories we can take a look at. So what further stories are there in the rest of the season? Um, all the Avengers become Hulks as the Gamma base <laughs> explodes. Um, Amazing. Baron Zemo, like the World War II villain of, of Captain America, brings all the Avengers enemies together and puts them together into a, like a, a, a anti-Avengers team. Uh, the Kree invade the Earth and we get Amazing. we meet Captain Marvel. A different Captain Marvel. Um, there's the, the, the Kang finally arrives to deal with Captain America. And that's a big three-part story. I think we'll have a look at that next year when Quantum Mania comes out and oh, everyone's perfect. talking about Kang. Um, Ultron becomes Ultron and rises up. Artificial mm. intelligence. And we get the Avengers having to fight all the nine realms of Asgard. So there we have it, right the way through um, the the setup episodes or the introduction episodes of incredible Marvel characters in this in this wonderful new universe, the Earth's Mightiest Heroes kind of show. Um, Two thousand and ten, the nascent period of the MCU. A lot of ideas being explored before they were in the MCU. Will I'd like to hand the things over to you? We'd love to get your thoughts on these episodes and this show. I. Oh, it- I've been saying it throughout the whole thing, but just to start off, for a kid's cartoon, this is really good stuff. I mean, I enjoyed what going through X-Men, I enjoyed going through Spider-Man, the animated series, but this is... this hits differently. This is really, really good. Uh, it, it, it feels more ambitious. You can tell they're building up the shared story in the same way the MCU films do, but without relying too much on them. They are kind of doing their own thing, and that's what I like. But without straying too f- too far away, that you won't that you'll, you'll feel a bit lost. It's all it's all cohesive. Uh, you can tell they're preparing for some big story arcs to follow, as we've discussed. I mean, you can tell, but you just told me what happens uh, with Kang appearing so early is a massive uh, indication of this there's world building and stories not related to the plot but looks like it will tie in later also I really like the animation style it doesn't feel like it's aimed too much at children the way that most decent superheroes cartoons do like Batman the animated series never felt like a kid's cartoon it just felt like a cartoon it felt like a dark thing uh, and as I said many times I yeah, I, I will be watching the rest of the show. I will be watching the entire thing on Disney Plus. This is I'm really looking forward to watching this. What's your favourite thing that you've learned in this um, in this episode, or what was your favourite part of the movie? Maybe maybe both. What was your not movie? 
favorite, favorite part of the of the of of the episodes that you watched? Um, I I think Wolverine popping up in the Howling Commandos really did it for me. <laughs> yeah. Also, Howlet Howling. Oh, Howlet, that, Howling cool. Howlet. And Howling uh, Howlet. Favorite slice of trivia that you've um, learned in our Fa- episode today. Favorite slice of trivia. Um, oh, it could be. Oh, I, I can't think. I can't think right now. There's two. There's been. I've had a trivia overload. Uh, I think it would be. Oh no, I can't think of any trivia. I'm really sorry. It's the first time I've ever had this has ever happened to me in two years. I've had too much trivia. I can't pick one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. Okay, we've broken Will. It's the episode that had to happen, and we've finally broken Will. Uh, we've done four hours. He can't remember anything. Um, next episode will be our our first deep dive into the darker side of the MCU. Something we've not been able to touch on yet, as we explore the hard drinking, controversial, groundbreaking Marvel series Jessica Jones. So make sure you're with us for that one. And for tons of bonus content and a way to support the show and help us grow, head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written, and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston, and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel.